Today we come to the end before the end. We come to Easter before Easter, to ascension before ascension, to that great last day before we get there. Because every alpha needs its omega, right? Every first needs a last. Every beginning needs an end. Every origin needs a goal. Otherwise, it's all aimless. It's all purposeless. It's all drifting. Today, we come to the end of our epiphany season. And if you've been paying attention, then you probably had that feeling of deja vu all over again. Remember how it all began for us. We started with that first manifestation of Jesus as the Christ. He and we, with him, had our alpha point at his baptism. First, he stood in with sinners at the waters of the Jordan. And there we heard the Father's voice shouting down, My beloved Son, my David, my royal Son, in whom I am well pleased. There we saw the Spirit descending like a dove. And what began there we see reaching its zenith here. Now, today, at last, we see where this Lord Jesus intends to carry us. He stands not with sinners in the water any longer, but now, today, we see Jesus, the same one who is the friend of sinners, standing with saints at the top of a grand mountain. And there we hear again the Father's same voice sounding out again and the Spirit's bright cloud surrounding it all. The transfiguration of Jesus shows us the goal. His ministry was not pointless. His ministry was not purposeless. His life was not the meaningless existence that so often people settle for in our world. How sad it is that those who are the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, sons and daughters of a king and a queen, would drift through life with no purpose, with no meaning other than what they can scratch together for themselves. How sad, how sad that so many know nothing of the omega, of the last, of the end, of the goal. But not so with our Lord. And not so with you, his Christians. His baptism set him on a track. There he was counted, he was reckoned with sinners for a purpose. See, Jesus did not come simply to hang out. Jesus was not content to loiter in this world and to leave no trace. He did not want to leave it behind just the same way he found it. His was no ministry of simple presence. The Lord came with a purpose. And he came so that many sons might be brought to glory. That's the way the scriptures talk about it. His mission, his mission was one of transformation. And the transformation that we hear of today is nothing short of glorification. This is why in so many ways that scene atop the mountain of transfiguration is unlike the scene at the waters of the Jordan. Just as the loaf of bread looks very different from the grain of wheat that is sown in the field. And yet, and yet there is a great similarity between the two. The Father's voice sounding from the bright cloud wants to make sure that you connect the dots. He does not idly repeat himself just because he can't think of something else to say. No, he wants us to see a connection between Jesus' baptism and our own and Jesus' transfiguration and the glory that is laid up for you. So we hear him say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And today it is our joy to connect the dots, to see how the seed is transformed into bread. 
So consider today this omega of Jesus' alpha. In his baptism, the sinless lamb stood in with sinners, taking his spot beside, taking his spot in place of and on behalf of each and every one of you. But here today, he stands in with saints. Look at the company that Jesus keeps up there on top of the mountain. Moses on one side and Elijah on the other. Moses, who talked with God face to face with such proximity, with such intimacy, that his skin reflected God's glory like the moon. Moses, whose burial spot was unknown by any human mind because it was the Lord himself who took Moses and buried him. And on the other side, we see Elijah. Elijah, who did not see death, but was instead snatched up into God's presence in a fiery whirlwind by angelic chariots. This is the company that Jesus, the friend of sinners, keeps. And he is not content until you take your place in that same company. Now, it's rare to find someone who is comfortable among holy people, among holy things, among holy times. It is common to find people who are comfortable among sinners. But Jesus is comfortable with both. We are familiar with the latter one, right? We are familiar with being comfortable among sinners, Our eyes are all too familiar with sinful images and sinful sights. Our tongues and our ears are well acquainted with how to form sinful words of anger and harshness. Our ears even rejoice at familiar sounds that should cause us to stand in fear. Our feet trod the pathways of sin all too readily because those pathways are well-worn. And our hands and muscles, well, they are habituated. They have made ready the things that ought not to be. We are at home with sin. And sin is comfortable in its way, isn't it? Because the company of sinners never makes any great demands on us. It's easy to be around sinners because they say, come and be like me. They say, there's nothing wrong with you. They say, why don't you just relax? Why don't you just take it easy? And so we settle in with sin and we sink down. Jesus knew how to take his place among sinners. But he also knew that it was not his purpose to just hang out with sinners. He came to transform. It is the holy places that we are unfamiliar with. It is the holy places that actually make us stand a little bit in fear. We know full well, don't we, how uncomfortable we are around holy things and holy people and holy places. In part, that's just because these things aren't familiar to us. Holy words aren't frequent in our daily vocabulary. We don't go around speaking the language of the church all that often. And so when we pick up God's word, we find it abnormal. Our lips aren't used to making those sounds. Our ears aren't used to hearing those words. Our bodies aren't used to do holy things. And so we sing the hymns and we say the prayers of the church and we feel, don't we, that we are speaking kind of a foreign tongue. We travel holy paths and we practice holy habits, but they don't come to us by second nature. But it's not simply that we're unfamiliar with holy things that makes us uncomfortable with them. It is precisely because they are holy and we are not. See, unlike sin, holiness actually makes a demand on each and every one of us. Holiness means to be set apart, to be different, to be totally other. 
And in the presence of a holy God, all that is unholy, all that is unholy is shown up for what it really is. Peter and James and John show this full well. In the presence of holy Jesus, with his face shining brighter than the sun and his clothes dazzling like lightning, they realize this quite clearly. We don't belong. We don't belong. And so they fall on their faces. And that's not just due to the brightness of Jesus, as if, you know, they had to close their eyes, but they fall on their faces out of fear, Scripture says. Anytime the unholy is confronted by what is holy, There is a sense of fear that comes in. In that light of Jesus' holiness, their sins could be clearly seen by Jesus and by everyone else. For that light, the light of God's own nature, shows up all that is there. Whether we want others to see it or not, nothing is hidden from his light. Now, there's a couple ways you can react to being in a holy place. Most people do the smart thing, that is, they zip their lips, and they try to hide themselves away. But Peter is different, isn't he? In the light of Jesus, in the uncomfortable holiness of Jesus' presence, Peter, bless his heart, Peter does the opposite. He starts talking. That's one way to avoid the uncomfortable things of life, to just get busy saying things and doing things. Because, you know, when you say familiar things and do familiar things, well, then maybe you can be comfortable Again, And so Peter just starts blabbing. Mark's gospel even tells us that he said these things because he did not know what he was saying for fear. And so Peter stammers out, Lord, it's good to be here. Maybe we should, uh, I don't know, build some tents. We can make one for you. We can make one for Elijah. We can make one for Moses. Peter was not ready to be in the glory of the Holy Trinity and left to ourselves Left to ourselves, neither would we. By nature, we can make no such claim to be at home with God. If any of us were to somehow stumble into heaven on the way home today, we would feel like absolute foreigners. It would be too holy. It would be too righteous. It would be too bright. It would be too glorious. And so the weight of it all would crush us. In the contrast of perfect Holiness, each and every one of your sinful thoughts and words and actions, those things that you try so hard to hide from God, from your neighbors, maybe even from yourself, in the light of God, all of those things would be shown up. And so we would say, like Isaiah said when he saw the Lord, Woe is me, I am undone, for I am indeed an unclean man, and I dwell amongst an unclean people. But I have good news for you. You are not left to yourselves. You are not going to accidentally stumble into heaven on your way home any more than any of you are going to break in and steal a place there for yourself. I have good news. You are invited. You are invited, and better than that, you will be carried there. What you could make no claim of on your own, Jesus says that you are to receive as a gift. For Jesus has come to share your place so that you may share his. And that great exchange means that there is a great change underway. His transfiguration was an epiphany of who he was by nature, right? God's own son. 
and yours. Yours is a transfiguration of who you are and who you will be, not by nature, but by something better, by God's grace. For you have the same omega as Jesus had. You have the same goal as Jesus had. You have the same destination as Jesus has to be God's own child. We can put it in another way, right? Your baptismal life has a goal. God did not baptize you on accident to kind of just go through this world aimless, drifting around, carried this way and that way by every wind and every wave of the world. You were not baptized to remain in static, to remain where you are. You were not born again of water and the Spirit so that you could stay a baby your whole life. You were not washed and clothed in Christ's righteousness so that you'd always feel like the clothes never actually fit. No, he who began a good work in you means to bring it to completion. Now it's true, we're not ready But the Lord is not done with us now. That's why we're still here. He is in the process of glorifying each and every one of you who are marked by his waters. That we may learn to speak words of holiness. He first speaks to us. That's how you learn to talk after all, isn't it? That we may learn to walk in the way of righteousness. He leads us even now along the way, pointing out the good things on the path. That you may learn to live a holy life of faith and love. He will actually take your hands and show you. Do it like this. And what he begins, he brings to completion. Jesus makes sinners into saints. His baptism got that underway with the Father's full approval. His transfiguration shows that final destination with, again, the Father's full approval. But note well that the road to glory... The road to glory must pass through the cross. It did for Jesus, and it will for you too. See, it's no easy thing for a grain of wheat to become a loaf of bread. A transformation must happen. A death and and resurrection must take place. Lord, it's good that we're here, Peter said, and it's true. It would be good to be there, but, but first, the change must happen. And so God the Father cuts Peter off. Peter doesn't know what he's saying, but God the Father does. Peter spoke too soon. It wasn't good for them to remain there yet, because first must come the cross. The Father cut Peter off because he knew not what he said. There could be no glorious home for sinners without the cross of Jesus. The vision could only be spoken of after death and resurrection. Why? Because only then, only when sin had been dealt with once and for all, only when atonement had been made, only when man was reconciled to God, only then could sinners stand in the presence of the Lord and not cower in terror, but be swallowed up in joy. To get from alpha to omega, you have to pass through the middle. The beginning reaches the end through the middle. And so baptism leads to glorification, but by way of a cross. As it was for our Lord, so it is for his disciples. Where he leads, each of you is to follow. Now, that doesn't mean that your life is an exact copy of Jesus's. He was the sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and so he suffered for the sins of the world on a cross. You are not. Good news, right? You are not the sinless Lamb of God. You are not called to take away the sins of the world, but but you are all called to be his disciples. 
And so the cross that shaped his life will shape yours. The cross that he calls all his disciples to take up and follow him will look different in each of your lives. So sin must be crucified in you. That is, put to death, left behind, repented of, set aside. You can't take your sins into heaven. You wouldn't want to bring them there. So let them die here, that you may rise without them there. But the other part of that cross means that you share in our Lord's suffering. The things that he endured, his disciples endure. Misunderstanding, rejection, scorn, ridicule, mockery. The sinful world will not praise holy things and holy lives and holy people. And those whom he loved to the point of death wanted nothing to do with Jesus. That was the way of holy Jesus in an unholy world. And that will be the way for, for saints in a sinful world. We will experience something of that too. Sometimes it may just be having to hear misunderstandings, like Peter telling Jesus what they should do on top of the mountain. Other times it will be harder to bear. And finally, there will come the final cross, the suffering of physical death. For our flesh and blood, as they now are, cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. But, but through that cross of Jesus, through that suffering, you are being fit for glory. You will learn to care less about this world's praises, to think little about scorn and mockery and ridicule, because you have something better. Through your sufferings, you will learn to care more for the Father's good pleasure, for the affirmation of heaven than the affirmation of this world. It is in your crosses, it is precisely in your sufferings that what used to feel so uncomfortable and so unfamiliar is made to fit you perfectly. And so you know how it goes, that it is in your sufferings that the hymns and the prayers of the church become familiar to you. It is then that the solace of the means of grace that we receive in holy worship is not some strange thing, but is the very thing that you desire above all else. It is then, in your sufferings, in your crosses, that the communion of saints and the holy friendship that we share in the church spurs us on rather than turning us off. Make no mistake, dear friends, your baptismal life is not meaningless. You have a glorious destination. And though the road there will pass through the cross, it is the cross that transforms you. And you don't go there alone. So let me end today where God the Father ends. He cuts Peter's vain babbling off and he says to him, listen to Jesus. At the beginning, listen to Jesus. In the middle, listen to Jesus. At the end, listen to Jesus. For Jesus always has just the right word. Jesus always has just the good word for whatever season you are in. He will call you back when you, when you go astray. He will raise you up when you fall. He will urge you on when you're weary. He will warn you off when you're clueless. He will comfort you when you are afraid. And in the end, in the end, you will see. You will see the beautiful shining face of the man whose voice you have listened to now. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.